Today's sponsor is Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also sponsored by SoFi, a new kind of finance company that offers student loan refinancing at low rates. SoFi members save on average $19,000 and you can save even more through an employer partner program. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me as the person who Steve Ballmer brought to the Clippers to turn the team around, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can subscribe to Recode Decode at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode, and while you're there, leave us a review. Today in the red chair is Maverick Carter, the business manager for LeBron James, a basketball player you might have heard of. The two of them grew up together in Akron, Ohio, and after a couple of years in the NBA, James enlisted Carter to manage the business side of being the most famous basketball star in the world. Carter spoke with Recode's Kurt Wagner in Los Angeles. Here's Kurt. Thanks, Kara. I'm really excited for today's interview. We're here in Los Angeles, um, actually in Hollywood, and I'm sitting across from Maverick Carter, who actually does a lot of things, actually, does a lot of stuff. Um, You're the CEO of three different companies. You've had a successful career in sports marketing, but of course, you're most well-known for your role as uh, kind of the business partner and and manager of LeBron James, who a lot of us, of course, have heard of. And, uh, you know, I really want to get into all the entertainment stuff that you're doing. You're doing a lot around giving athletes their their own voice. But before we do all that, I really want to jump back to the beginning. You know, how did you and LeBron kind of start this relationship? You, you guys have known each other since childhood, right? You know, when you take a minute and think, I did do a lot of stuff. <laughs> but to go back to your point where it started, I mean, the friendship that we started a long, long time ago, we still have and we still maintain that. And the way to maintain that is... Every single time we're together, it's not about business or what are we doing. It's mostly about being friends and how are you doing personally and friends and family. And then we do a lot of business together. And I think, you know, that became from we played basketball together one year in high school. I'm older than LeBron by three years. So when I was a senior, he was a freshman. I went off to college. He continued to play high school basketball, obviously, and rose to become, you know, the best high school player in America, and if not the best, one of the most heralded high school players ever in this country. And at the same time, I was off in college uh, studying marketing and then went to uh, Nike as an internship, made a relationship, um, got an internship at Nike, worked there in between uh, school years, and then made a became really close with a gentleman named Lynn Merritt, who's still the global head of Nike basketball. Okay. Um, and did you play ball in college? I played basketball in college. Okay, where Mich- I went to Western Michigan. Okay. I played basketball in college. Um, so I've been around basketball my whole life. I know the game uh, very well. I, In my mind, I dream of one day and fancy myself one day being a coach <laughs> Okay. on some level because I, I do love basketball. Do you, Have you ever done any coaching before? Like is this... Uh, uh, just like summer basketball, coaching... Yeah. Work camps when I was, you know, was a counselor at basketball camp when I was uh, in college. But I do love basketball. But uh, at Nike, it was a way to be around basketball and not necessarily be a coach, but I was in the sports marketing world. Right. And in Nike, I really learned 
A, what it means to work at a gigantic company. B, I really learned sports marketing and sports branding and how to how to take a brand and marry and partner an athlete with the brand to really tell a story. Right. And really, you know, at Nike, they have a great saying that they make shoes, they make apparel, and the rest they make up. And the part that they make up is the stories. They really tell great stories with their products and with their athletes. And I tell people, I graduated from Nike. When, when people ask me, what college did you go to? I say, I graduated from Nike because what's a better sports marketing and branding yeah. school than that? How did they? How did the, you get into Nike? Did they find you? Did you seek them out? Did, the way yeah. I got into Nike was I met a gentleman, Lynn, who I told you about. And he was coming back and forth to Akron to watch uh, when LeBron became like a junior. I made a relationship with him. That's one thing that I'm very good at, and I'm very curious. I'm an extremely curious person. I once seen a quote by Einstein that I thought was so fitting for myself that I just love it, and it's, I have no special talent. I'm just passionately curious. Mm -hmm. And I just met Lynn and started asking him all these questions. He took a liking to me, and we hit it off, and we had a relationship. He, I told him I was in college, what college I went to. We started talking. He invited me out for an internship. He liked the work I did over three or four months. And then he was like, you know, I want to bring you on as a consultant to the company and yeah. consultant to basketball. And then when it was time and LeBron finally got to his senior year and kind of became the guy that every shoe company wanted, LeBron came to me and said, hey, you have this experience. I'm going to, whatever shoe company I sign with, I want them to hire you to kind of be my guy on the inside of the company. Gotcha. And so this was all when you were, what, 21 years old, 22 uh, years old? I was... Between the ages of now, more like 19 to, should I feel old now, 19 to like 21 or two. Yeah. So, and then I worked there. after. So once LeBron gra graduated and became a pro and he signed with Nike, I took a, jo a full-time okay. job and moved to, to Beaverton. So when you, first, when you first started working with Nike, LeBron was, people knew who he was, but he was high school LeBron. Yeah, he, he was, he, yeah, he was d obviously very well known, and he was becoming more and more known yeah. every single day with every game. But when I first took my job, he was, he was just finishing his sophomore year in high okay. school. So why, maybe let's back up real quick. So how did you guys actually meet? What was the, you know, how long had you known each other? Before? LeBron and myself? Yeah, before you, before you played um, basketball We actually met because my parents and his mom and stepfather at the time were friendly. Okay. And he came to my birthday party, literally. My <laughs> really? birthday party. Yep. Did you have a theme? What was the theme birthday? Nike theme birthday party or something? It, it was just have fun. <laughs> okay. It's kind of still the theme that we live with today. Yeah. Just do what's fun. Okay. And, and authentic. So you so you met at your birthday party, played basketball together. At what point did he say, "Hey, I want to make you who you know you're 19, 20 years old. Like I want you to run LeBron James brand, right? Like, at, did you guys even have that conversation at some well, point? Well, it's or? two points that kind of led to, you know, he's in charge of LeBron James brand ultimately, but I help, you know, build the business around it. But the first part was. When he was a senior, he said, whatever shoe company I signed with, you have experience, you've been an intern, mm -hmm. you've worked as a consultant, I want them to hire you to be my guy at the company, because he, he hired an agent. And then after two years into the NBA, when I had been working at Nike, he called me and said, hey, I want to change things. I want to do business different than every other basketball player. The agent that I have is not working for me, so I want you to leave Nike and come work with me and help me figure out my business and what I should and shouldn't be doing. Gotcha. And so you say you graduated from Nike. To, uh, you know, what was 
I guess maybe the takeaway, I'm sure there's many of them, but what are some of the takeaways maybe you left with? Because you still have a good relationship. I mean, you guys obviously still have a relationship with Nike. Uh, yeah, a little so bit. it's not like, you've, <laughs> not like you've left totally. But no, you know, what, did, what did you learn? I, guess? I work with Nike every single day still. So we have a little. We have a yeah, little, a little lifetime. Just yeah, a lifetime a relationship. It, it, it only, we'll get to that a little bit. It's only going to last a lifetime. But right. what I took mostly from that is, again, what I said is like how to take a brand, an athlete who is a person, marry the two and tell stories that really drive the brand and also are authentic to the athlete. And really, Phil Knight has a great quote where he says, never stop hearing the voice of the athlete, which is something that I really took away from. Like, if you take a brand and you bring in athletes and marry the two and tell a story that's not just good for the brand but also good for the athlete, then that's where you get ultimate success. Gotcha. And so, no, how does that, obviously with someone like LeBron, who's as talented as he is, was well-known from an early age, I imagine that's it simplifies it a little bit, right? Because you have people coming to you, you have sponsors coming to you, opportunities maybe that you don't have to seek. But what were those first couple years like uh, with him getting into the league, you running you know, a lot of this off-court stuff? How did you sift through and say, like, here are good opportunities versus deciding what to well, block that, out? Your point is actually wrong. That makes it tougher because okay. the fact of the matter is the opportunities that are coming in aren't necessarily they're not necessarily opportunities that are right for LeBron and what we were trying to build and and we were you know there's two strategies when you when you take on the role that I decided to take on when I left Nike there's two strategies there's, there's what I call the money grab which is just take every deal that comes to the door and get right. as much money as you can or there's being strategic about it and building out a plan that will last a lifetime and be around for a long time but you have to make your bet on do you think the athlete, at, in this case LeBron or, or any athlete or star or person that you're helping manage, do they have the talent and skill to be around mm -hmm. a long time or are they going to be around a year or two and then fizzle out? Right. So I took the strategy and placed my money on that LeBron James is dedicated, he's committed, he's smart, he's talented, he's a damn good basketball player. He's going to be around a long time. Sure. So we're not going to just do a money grab. We're going to be strategic about it. So worked with a team of people who could really help me think through and put together guardrails of, of things. And when I say things, meaning deals, press opportunities, anything that fit into the strategy in which we were trying to get to, right. to the place we were trying to go, which was, which was long-term and sus sustainable for LeBron. And did you have uh, like an aha moment or anything for, for you personally, right? I mean, you're, you're young, you're doing all of this really for the first time the exception of your, your time with Nike, but like, was there ever a, a, an endorsement or a deal or anything yeah. where you were just like, wow, this, I, yeah. I know what I'm doing. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because I was just at our office. We still have an office in Akron, um, which is like our family office and manages all of the kind of back of house ventures and things that we do now. And I was happened to be walking around LeBron's office and I saw this trophy that he had in his office and it's from 2009 and it's from the buyout awards, which... I haven't heard of the buyout. Exactly. Award. Most people haven't heard about it, but there it's an award for companies that get bought out. So we got the in 2009 we actually got the trophy for turnaround of the year for this company called Cannondale, which is a bike company. So it reminded me of kind of my aha moment which was you know 
as a part of this long-term strategy, I thought that we had the opportunity. Everyone talks about sponsorship deals and endorsement deals. First off, we only talked about them as partnerships, meaning we want long-term partners who are going to build something great together. But also, besides that, I thought there was an opportunity to take an athlete like LeBron and get into position that whether we put up money or we put up his name, likeness, and image, or we put up his time, my time, my thinking, the thinking I brought from Nike, which at the time wasn't very valuable. Today it's become a little bit more. But if we put those things up, we could put ourselves in a position to have equity in companies, not gigantic companies like Coca-Cola or Nike, but smaller brands like Cannondale. And the first one we found was Cannondale. And the reason we wanted to do that one, LeBron started training on a bike in the offseason. He, he still does. He rides a bike to keep himself in shape, but to stay off his legs. And I said, the f- company I wanted to buy actually was Schwinn. But yeah. We ended up buying Cannondale. We bought it with a private equity firm. We bought into it. They already owned it. They had owned it for a couple of years. We bought into it. I, I launched this whole sports marketing plan for them around other athletes, brought some other athletes in. We did this charity event with LeBron called a Bikeathon. And lo and behold, three years later, we sold the company yeah. to Doral Industries for a, a sizable profit. And we got that award, the uh, the turnaround of the year. And that was my moment where I went, man, this fucking idea that I have, it actually can work. It's actually real. It's Forget the money. I didn't even, LeBron made a lot of money. I made money. But I was like, the money, it actually proved my theory. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting that 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 moment is not necessarily specific to sports, really, right? I mean, it's an athletic, it's a bike. So, of course, there's sports involved. But, I mean, it wasn't specific necessarily to, you know, LeBron's endorsement or anything like that. No, it was more... It was more leveraging the value that we bring to the table to take a position in a brand that has a chance right. for growth and bringing what we have to the table and contributing to that growth and then capturing the value. Yeah. Um, you, I've heard that you tell a very good story about Beats by Dre because you guys were involved with Beats as we were, well. Before yeah, we Beats was Beats, basically, yeah, you were involved. Exactly. So walk me through, if you will. I'm sure you've told this before, but walk me through the story of kind of getting Beats onto the uh, U.S. Olympic basketball team. Beats came after Cannondale, but it was kind of in the same vein. That in 2008, we made a documentary called More Than a Game, which is a great documentary about LeBron and his four best friends from high school and kind of their their road from being freshmen when they played one year with me all the way to senior year and all the things they went through. And it's really like a Hollywood movie, but it's a, it's a true story. And our co-executive producer was Jimmy Iovine. Uh, Obviously, Jimmy is a legendary guy in the music business. Mm -hmm. And one day I was sitting in his office talking about the movie, working on the movie in in 2008. And he showed me this headphone. He says, you know, me and Dre are working on this headphone. What do you think of it? Because Jimmy's a smart guy. And what Jimmy does is anyone in his office that he thinks could have an idea or be smart. He shows you things and listen to this song. Or what do you think of this? What do you think? He likes people's opinions. So I looked at it and I said, this is, you know, it looks great. Aesthetically, it looks beautiful. I listened to it. I said, Jimmy, I'm not a big music listener all the time in headphones, but LeBron is. Can I take a pair, see what he thinks? He said, sure. So he gave me one pair. This is before, again, any... No beats had never been sold. No one had seen them in retail. They were just working them. LeBron loved them. He thought they were cool, thought they looked great. He kept them. So I went back to Jimmy and we were talking. I said, What's your plan? How are you going to market these? And he started telling me. This is pre Apple. This is all pre acquisition. Oh, yeah. This is, I mean, this is pre beats. This is not, this is before. 
and Jimmy started telling me about you know what he was going to do with the headphones and music and the uni- Universal Music Group, and I said, Jimmy, I think there's one space that we should you should think about, and I he said, what is it? I said sports, and I said you know athletes wear headphones in and out of the arena every single game, mm-hmm. and if you can get your headphones on those guys, you may never have to buy advertising. I said, that's a big, you know, fashion has become a big place. They they use the back of house for an arena like a runway now. Everyone takes pictures. So he says, well, what should we do? And that's when I said, I have an idea. If we, I'd like to take 15 pair, give them to LeBron, and let him gift them to the U.S. Olympic team because they're on their way to Beijing. They're going to stop in San Fran and go to Beijing, and let's see what happens. Yeah. And we did it. And, of course, the guys landed in Beijing, and the headphones were everywhere. I mean, you know, they let, the men's basketball, USA basketball team in Beijing and China, where basketball is by far and away the number one sport. When they landed, I mean, there was media from around the world, all over the place, and every day they went to practice, and they were on NBC, and the guys all had the headphones on or around their neck. And Jimmy called me and basically said, you're right, and I want you to be my partner uh, in Beats. And, and we've been partners in all the way up to the acquisition and, and still work on the brand and help uh, yeah. in sports marketing. So that was the, that was the point at which you guys got involved financially. And that's all that that's well. when we got involved, yeah. Very cool. That's, that's we, a great story. In that's 2008. A very, that's a cool story. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, it makes sense, but it's just, you know. So it's good, not rocket science, but it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I'm going to shoot it over to Kara, who's going to give us a word from our sponsors. Thanks, Kurt. Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Casper made a perfect mattress and sells it directly to consumers to save you money. The Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It combines springy latex and supportive memory foams to create an award-winning sleep service with just the right sink and just the right bounce. Time Magazine named it one of the best inventions of 2015. Shipping to both the U.S. and Canada is completely free, and there's a 100-day risk-free trial and return policy. If you don't love your Casper mattress, they'll pick it up and refund everything. These mattresses are made in America. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash recode and using the promo code recode. Stop paying for the mattress industry's inflated prices. Go to casper.com slash R-E-C-O-D-E and use the promo code recode. Terms and conditions apply. Today's show is also brought to you by SoFi. SoFi is a new kind of finance company. They're helping people get out of student debt faster while saving them a lot of money. Refinancing student loans with SoFi saves members an average of $19,000. SoFi even partners with companies to help free their employees of debt. See how SoFi can help you at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Back to you, Kurt. Thanks, Kara. Uh, we're back here in Los Angeles, uh, sitting across from Maverick Carter, talking about sports and marketing and, and brands and all that stuff. Um, I want to ask you about the decision because I know that that was uh, something that you worked on. So maybe for those people who aren't familiar with the decision, maybe you could explain it in your words. And then I'm just curious how that whole thing came about because I imagine you didn't expect the backlash uh, that you guys probably ended up getting. For that yeah, thing. for those who don't know, it was when LeBron decided to, in 2010, decided to switch team, the team he had played on for seven years, the Cleveland Cavaliers. And His go home t- pl- hometown team. Yeah, we're from Akron. And Cleveland is uh, 40 minutes up the road. And he decided to go to Miami and play uh, for the Miami Heat. And when, when he decided to switch teams, we decided we wanted to control the message on how the message went out. 
and what he talked about and the way we decided to do it was with ESPN. We decided to make it into, it didn't start off with making it into a, a TV show that they ended up doing, but what we wanted to do is A, we wanted to control the message and B, we wanted to control the media around it and give that money to the Boys and Girls Club, and in which we did. And we mm-hmm. controlled the media. We sold all the media in the hour-long special which garnered three and a half million dollars. You you sold it. We sold it. Yeah. yeah, we sold it to the sponsors of that was Bing University of Phoenix. There might be a third one. I'm forgetting. Excuse me, but yeah, we sold it, and ESPN let us own it all because we didn't take it as a profit. We gave all of the money to the Boys and Girls Club. We donated three and a half million dollars. LeBron uh, on TV. 10 million viewers watched him say... I watched it. I remember watching it myself. Yeah, yeah. Said, watched him say he de- he decided to take his talents and go play for the Miami Heat, which became a phrase that everyone uses now. And he got tons of backlash. I got tons of backlash. People were, frankly, upset. The media went totally south on him. Um, he had won the MVP two years previous to the decision. The year of the decision, he actually lost it, and then he won it two years after that. So I think he deserved the MVP that year, but the media votes mm-hmm. on the MVP, and they had completely turned their back on him. But, you know, he went to Miami. The team became kind of the villain of the NBA, and it created a big hoopla. I mean, it was like the biggest story in sports that we had seen in a long time. Yeah. And the thing that I learned mostly from it because I was extremely involved in it, and I watched everything that was going on around it, just, not just the media, but I watched, I looked at the decision as a holistic thing, and, and and what happened, the thing that I learned most was that in business, there's three perceptions, and you have to pay attention to all three, and you have to, you have to mind all three, and you have to, but you can't make decisions off of any singular perception. Those perceptions are the media's perception of a person or a brand or a product. The media tends to all kind of go one way. Mm -hmm. Once one person goes that way, it's like dominoes. It all goes one way. So the media went completely south on LeBron. There's public perception, which is, you know, the perception of the, the public at large or the people who pay attention but don't really consume, in this case, basketball or consume LeBron James sneakers or LeBron James jerseys. They had probably went south because they're influenced a lot yeah, by the they're, media. they're listening to what, what the media says. The saying. media says. Yeah. But then there's consumer perception, which is actually the folks who buy the product or the brand or, or watch the show or pay attention to whatever the thing that we're talking about. In this case, it was the people who watch NBA basketball people who buy LeBron James sneakers, people who buy LeBron James jersey. And in fact, that year, I tell people, which for whatever reason is surprising to people, but then they go back and go, oh, that makes sense. We had the largest growth in LeBron's brand at Nike was that year of the really? decision. And I tell people it's it's pretty simple because a guy writing an article in the New York Times, if a 60-year-old guy is writing an or 50 year old guy is writing an article in the new york times a 17 year old kid in houston doesn't give a shit right what that guy thinks the 17 year old kid in houston who buys lebron james sneakers buys jerseys that's our consumer in this case but we pay att- we have to pay attention to all three and that's the biggest thing i learned coming out of that is there's three different perceptions we had the biggest growth that year in consumer but his media perception was way down now in a perfect world you want all three 
to be high. Of course, yeah. That's the that's the that's the holy grail, right? But you realize over time that there's levers and on three of the three of those they go up and down and you have to pay attention to all three. Just because the consumer perception is up and public perception is down, that that's not a good thing. Yeah. That's not a good thing because eventually the public perception could start to erode at the consumer perception. So that's the biggest thing I learned. We did got it, through it. Um Did it bother you personally? Like was was it something that uh first of all, was it surprising? And then second like, were you able to move past it relatively quickly, or was this something that you thought about for a long time? Sure, I thought about it. I thought about it from how can I get better? How can I think things through differently? How can I better do my job? I thought about it from, you know, LeBron, again, is also a friend, seeing a friend just like everywhere he went, the media was. I mean, writing him like he was some bad person um, just because he decided to switch teams and control his message. But, yeah, for sure, um, I thought about it and spent a lot of time dealing with it and thinking it through. And I still think about it sometimes, really? for sure. It's the only way to continue to get better and think things through. You know, you, you talk about controlling the message, which is a, a, what you guys are trying to do with a product or, I guess, a business you have called Uninterrupted. Uh, we've talked about that before. For those listening, I mean, it's essentially – a digital, it's a video platform, right? Where athletes are kind of cutting the media out, really, and they're they're sharing their thoughts on their own. I mean, how would you describe it? Yeah, I wouldn't say cutting the media out. I would say, you know, that was back in 2010. We just spoke about the decision. Since that moment, controlling your message is like, it's what everybody does. I know. Now. It's a, yeah, Twitter and Facebook. I mean, there's it's all like, these plat- platforms now where athletes yeah, make their own like, announcements. Yeah, right? you watch ESPN now. Every high school, top 100 high school kid in America in football and basketball, ESPN actually broadcasts them picking their school, mm-hmm. and they have the hats and they pick their school. It's funny after LeBron said that all the high school kids started saying that, like you know, taking my talents to the University of Alabama, I'm sure. taking my talents to Michigan, and so controlling your message became a big thing since then i mean i guess it probably was before then i'm not sure but but um we started uninterrupted because for those of you who don't know in 2014 actually lebron decided to switch teams again and go back to the team he had previously played for after four years four great years and phenomenal years in miami that led to two championships and two mvps and four finals appearances he decided to go back and we decided again that he wanted to control his message. We just actually chose a different medium and we chose to publish a letter that he spoke and Lee Jenkins wrote for Sports Illustrated. Yep, Sports Illustrated. And, you know, our team got together. We had new members of the team then. Adam Mendelson, who works with us on all of our communications, was a big part of helping us think that through. And as a part of our brain trust, had joined the team after the decision to help me think through communications in a more strategic way. And we decided to do that. And in doing that, we released that. I'll never forget the day on a Friday at like noon and at two o'clock we were on a plane flying to Brazil to watch the World Cup final between Argentina and Germany. And literally in the two hours before because we the letter got published at noon, we were on the plane by two. So, you know, the flight is gonna be we weren't even gonna be able to see what the letter was what the, the reaction stick, was. The like, reaction. Yeah. But in two hours it became Again, like the biggest story in sports that we had seen in a while. And it was just people were applauding it and loving it. Now, obviously, part of it was he was going back to Cleveland. But the way it was done and how the letter was was written. And it was still he was controlling his message just in a different medium. But in doing that, when we got on the plane, literally, we started talking about how do we create a network. And when I say a network, a digital network, where athletes 
can come and help and we can build a team of professionals that can help them develop their stories get those stories distributed and amplified and those stories whether they're a 30 second story about you know today we just published a piece with John Wall going into surgery and he's talking about his surgery talking about why he's getting a surgery talking mm-hmm. about what it's going to take to recover and you know it's a minute long story and we help him develop that or if it's a documentary an athlete wants to do or, or a story that they want to talk about so uninterrupted is, is designed to be a globally distributed network that athletes can come we will help them create and develop their stories and help them create and develop their voice and then get those stories and voices amplified and distributed and it's not about cutting out the media. Yeah, I was just going to say. Because I mean, we use media as as a place to distribute. We use traditional media sources, whether it be Bleacher Report and Turner or ESPN as distribution sources. Right, but I mean, obviously traditionally, right, um, the media has been the one to convey that message. And do you feel any, like, is there tension at all with the media, with the fact, I mean, because you guys aren't the only folks trying to do this. Derek Jeter has... Uh, I believe it's called the Players Tribune, yeah. right? S- similar idea. It's a website yep. where athletes are really they're posting their own stuff. And yep. there's obviously Twitter now and Facebook. Do media folks have an issue with the fact that we, you guys want to do this? We have zero issue with the media. The media looks at us as complementary to what they do, okay. because they. I mean, it's not like we're telling athletes to stop talking to the media or don't do do it. But then, if athletes want to get deeper, because the media has to cover a lot of stories and a lot of athletes and have to be very broad. So if an athlete, if Draymond Green wants to get deeper and really tell a deeper and get more insightful into his story or to that specific game or that specific moment, we're the place for Mm -hmm. that. But he still is going to talk to the Golden State press every single day, the press following the Warriors and the NBA every single day. And the media looks at us as complimentary because sometimes when we have those deeper stories and those more topical things that happen, they use it to help complement the stories that they're writing anyway. Gotcha. And so how many players... So we have zero tension. Okay. How many players are, are signed up? We have athletes. We've worked with... Oh, man. Uh, the exact number, I don't know, but it's somewhere around 100 athletes okay. that we've worked with to tell to tell stories and working with many more. Anybody out there that you're you're just dying to get on uh, an interrupted that's hold, holding out from you? Anyone, anyone that has a story, any athlete that has a story yeah. that they think is worth getting deeper into and getting more insight into it or is entertaining or that they just feel like they need a place where they can go deeper. We are willing to that work. That was good marketing right there. You, you nailed that. I mean, it's not, I'm not reading a script. It's just how I feel. It's, yeah. what, it's what we do. It's what I do every single day. It's what I've been doing since my days at Nike is really, that's what Nike does. They get with athletes. Yeah. They tell you a story about an athlete and then they sell you a sneaker. Mm-hmm. That's what they do. I've been doing that my whole life. So that's what I know. That's what I know how to do. Yeah. Uh, I want to get into the Nike deal that you guys recently signed, the lifetime deal. But real quick before we do that. I'm going to send it over one more time to Kara Swisher, who's going to have a word from our sponsor. Got to pay the bills. Got to pay the bills. Thanks, Kurt. This episode is brought to you by GoCD, the open source continuous delivery server created by ThoughtWorks. GoCD is the best integration and deployment tool you've probably never heard of. It offers complete customization for your software's individual needs. There's no plugin or workaround needed. GoCD just goes. Spend more time delivering and less time configuring. Commercial support and enterprise add-ons, including disaster recovery, are available. Download GoCD for free at www.go.cd. I'd also like to tell you about Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Thanks, Kara. 
Talked to Duncan Jones this week. Who's Duncan Jones? He makes awesome movies. He made a great movie called Moon. He called another one called Source Code. Another one called Warcraft. That's out right now. That one's probably more for your kids, but anyone who likes big action adventure will like it. Um, Duncan Jones is also the son of David Bowie, and he will politely indulge you in questions about David Bowie for a while, up to a point. So I did that too. It's a great conversation. Now back to your excellent show. Back to you, Kurt. Thanks, Kara. We're back here uh, once again with Maverick Carter down in Los Angeles. Maverick, you were just talking right before the break about what Nike does, right? Which is that they create these narratives. They sell tennis shoes. They're a, a pretty impressive brand that you guys have worked with a long time. And you recently signed a lifetime deal uh, with them. LeBron signed a lifetime deal. What does that mean exactly? And why, you know, how did that come together? Why did you guys choose to, to do that? Because they'd never done a lifetime deal with an athlete before. The reason we decided to do that is because LeBron is 13 years into his career, already built a fantastic business, a footwear and apparel business as a partner with Nike, and he just seen it as a place that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't interested in going anywhere else. Nike had been his partner forever, and he and he wanted them to be his partner forever, and they wanted to also, and we went to them with the idea of a deal that lasts a lifetime for LeBron, and they were totally with it. Um, and after some back and forth, we landed in a place that really worked yeah. for both of us. And we thought that it was a deal that you know would satisfy Nike, would satisfy him, and leave us both with a lot of upside to really, you know, the goal there is to build a business that lasts for a very long time. And so this was your idea. This was your guys' idea. Yeah, not we there. went to them with the idea. And so do you feel like? I mean, there's not a lot of athletes. I think I was reading that you know there's three or four other athletes, not with Nike, of course, but with other brands who have done similar lifetime commitments. Do you think that this is the kind of thing that's going to become more popular now that someone like LeBron has done this? Or do you think it's still going to be unique? I think, you know, what we did is unique. I think it will remain unique. I think that it was, you know, the right brand, the right, you know, kind of joint venture with the right athlete at the right time. And I think, you know, what you know, I have to, obviously what Michael Jordan did with Nike is phenomenal. I mean, he built a brand and a business that's going to last a lifetime right. and probably many lifetimes. So LeBron's timing of coming behind Michael, you know, enough distance to Nike to see what you can do with an athlete um, really helps. So I think, you know, what we did is, is always going to be unique. I think, you know, it was the right timing by who LeBron is, by where Nike is, by what Michael Jordan had did. And so I think it'll always be unique. Whether other athletes will do it or not, I hope so. Yeah. It'll be great. And I guess I want to, you know, we have a few more minutes here. I really want to talk about the entertainment stuff that you do. LeBron was recently in a movie, which I watched. I thought he was pretty good. Did you laugh? I did laugh. That's all that matters. Yeah. got to laugh. That's a funny movie, though. Amy's, Amy Schumer. Is Amy's. Very, he was in... Uh, train wreck. Amy's hilarious. Judd Apatow's, I mean, LeBron would tell you he's sitting here, Judd Apatow, much like a great coach, put him in the right position and set him up to succeed. Yeah. And really, he just he looked natural, you know, did though. his thing, but Judd really set him up and Amy set him up and him and Bill, her and Bill were great teammates and Judd was a great coach in helping him put him in the right position to succeed. Yeah. So how did, I mean, is that something that LeBron wakes up one day and says, you know what, I feel like this acting thing seems pretty cool or I, I imagine you had many conversations before, but like, how do you make that transition or, or that initial step to say, hey, let's, let's go ahead and like try Hollywood out? Yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's more about strategically what 
or the next things and, and building a business for him personally it's you know obviously he's very laser focused on being the best basketball player in the world today but as he thinks about what he does next when that because he's no longer in his third or fourth year he's in his 13th year he's kind of on the backside mm-hmm. of his career he's played more years than he's got left to play so as he thinks about what he's going to do next i mean acting is a thing that you know he's as you said did his first movie he's done lots of commercials some longer things digitally but it's definitely something that he thinks about and thinks about doing and wants to pursue because i think he enjoys it you know as i tell people you know being an actor and when i watched him on set he's coachable that's what he you know that's what he's done his whole life he's he's talk did to someone standing classes? on his own. Did he take acting classes or anything like that? He did not take acting classes, but you know, he worked with Judd and he listened to Judd and Judd gave him instruction and do it like this and say it like this and look this way and he that's what, you know, he's an athlete. That's right. what he wants to do. He wants to be coached. He wants to be have a great coach put him in the right position to succeed and and let his talents kind of shine through. So I think movies is definitely something he wants to do as his career winds down and when he's done playing. Yeah, and he, and you guys are doing Space Jam 2. Maybe we're going to do it. Maybe you're know. doing. That's yeah, what everyone says. Like, there's a lot of says, rumors. That's a big story. That's a big story. Maybe. It's in the movie business it takes a long time okay. to pull the thing off, but nothing's set yet. But maybe we'll do it. Okay. And that's all because you have a relationship with the studio, right? I mean, what's... Yeah, Warner Brothers Warner is the Brothers. investor okay. in our entertainment company, Spring Hill, and Uninterrupted. So okay. they are our partner, and we have a great relationship. Obviously, they own the, the Looney Tunes and Space Jam IP, so maybe we will uh, do something. Maybe. Okay. Maybe. Good. When you look at like taking that... So Turner, and like you said, invested in Uninterrupted as well. How much does that... I guess, give you freedom to explore new projects, right? I mean, I, I would imagine with any venture money, right, you you now all of a sudden have financing to go do whatever it is that you want to do. But, like, how aggressive do you want to get? What kind of projects are, are kind of top of mind for you besides maybe a Space Jam or something like that? When you say projects, you're talking TV or movie projects? Yeah, either. I'm told that you, you kind of want to do it all. Well, we have... I mean, we have a TV show that's in the third season called Survivors and Morse on Stars. We have another TV show that we were already producing for Disney called Becoming. <clears throat> we have a TV show that was shot now for CNBC. So we have a lot of TV shows going. So we're we're always interested in projects that, again, just like, you know, I'm just applying the same kind of muscle memory to when I told the story about Canada that we can bring our talent our unique thinking, our storytelling to the project, whether that be helping craft the actual what the the show is about and or what the marketing of the show is Mm -hmm. about. And it has to be authentic to us and we have to be able to bring value to it and really create something that people can get a sense of who we are as producers and, and really tell a story that's relatable and also relatable to us and also we think will be relatable to the people who want to watch it. What have you learned kind of transitioning from marketing, sports marketing, into entertainment. Do, are those, do they bleed together pretty closely or are they pretty different? I've learned that just like in marketing and in entertainment, the best story wins. The person who can really tell the most authentic, most relatable, biggest 
story wins. And that's marketing. That's uh, also in entertainment. You know, people love stories and people yeah. want to attach themselves to stories. And whoever can tell the best story, you and I can both create the same exact product. But if you're able to tell a better story about your product and why your product works, that you're a better marketer than me. And, and in entertainment, it's the same thing, whether it's a writer and producer who can craft and mine the best stories wins. Yeah. Last question, because I know we do have a tech audience. Do you or LeBron invest at all? Do you guys have any interest in getting into... Yeah, we invest a lot. Yeah. What Anything exciting? Any tech? Do you make any tech investments? Besides I Beats, I guess? I mean, yeah, we, we own Beats, um, if you consider that tech. But I don't think we've made any specific tech investments. Um, like everyone else in the world, we have not started a tech fund. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Probably won't do that either, but we have not invested in anything tech. Maverick, thank you so much for being here. That was wonderful. It was really great to chat with you. I'm going to go ahead and send it back to Kara now, who probably learned a lot more about sports ball than she's used to. So, uh, Kara? Kurt Wagner, thanks a lot for that fascinating interview. And yes, I did learn a lot about sports ball, although I'm starting to wonder if that's really the right name for it. If you enjoyed Kurt's interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with Recode co-founder Walt Mossberg, investor Keith Raboy, and former Texas State Senator Wendy Davis, just to name a few. You can find all those interviews and more at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, why not try one of our other podcasts? Recode Media with Peter Kafka comes out every Thursday. On Fridays, I host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge. And on Recode Replay, you can find audio from our events like the Code Conference, which is this week in Los Angeles, Peter Kafka's Code Media, and Jason Del Rey's Code Commerce. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. Remember to subscribe to the show and leave us a review at iTunes.com slash Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Monday with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.